good morning, good afternoon and good evening to all of you in our digital health community, wherever you are listening in the world, and welcome to the HitLab Digital Health Podcast. My name is Jerry Antimano, I am the Community Development Manager at HitLab, and today we bring you an interview from one of our Women's Health Tech Wednesday events. Every Wednesday we have a fireside chat where we interview different female leaders in the healthcare industry, dive into their experience and story, and hear about insights they might have with any number of current healthcare topics. In this particular episode, our host Nina Joshi from Kaiser Permanente interviewed Sari Kaganoff, who is the General Manager of Consulting at Rock Health. They talk about leading a consulting team and advising enterprise companies about digital health strategy and innovation. So let's have a listen to when Nina met Sari. Hi, Sari. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Nina. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe to kick things off, I'd love if you could share with us a little bit more about yourself and, you know, your journey into the healthcare industry. Of course. Um, so firstly, uh, you've already mentioned kind of my current role, but just to make sure everyone knows kind of what I do today, Rock Health is a company that's been in the digital health space since 2010. We have three main parts to our business. We're a venture capital fund investing in early stage digital health startups. We have an advisory business, which advises enterprise companies on digital health strategy and innovation. And we have a nonprofit arm focused on health equity and education. So really the gamut of supporting digital health from all angles. Uh, so I came to Rock Health about a year and a half ago from McKinsey and Company, where I was for seven years co-leading their work in digital health and patient experience. Um, when I joined McKinsey, you know, about a year in, I did my first digital health project, and this is ages ago by now, and I was just like, wow, this is the future. I'm like, I just have to do more of this. And so that is really where I directed my career within McKinsey, doing a lot of healthcare and life science projects, but really as much as I could doing digital health uh, and, you know, building out the health tech network at McKinsey. And then, uh, you know, around the time when COVID hit, I just felt this sort of like pre-FOMO of like, this is going to be the moment for digital health to take off. And I want to be closer to that industry and really in the action. So I came to Rock Health to, to kind of really help support and drive the industry forward and be in the thick of it. Um, so that's me before, you know, before that I worked in, I, you know, I got an MBA from Booth. I worked in FinTech before, so not much of a healthcare background before, before McKinsey. Um, in particular related to the women's health topic, not something I mention every time, but I'm a mom of five kids and, um, you know, for me, maternal health, I feel like, uh, you know, you, you sort of go on a, on a journey, uh, especially with having as many kids as, as I do. So, you know, each one, you learn a little more and you get a little more experience and you realize that there's so much knowledge and, you know, insight on motherhood, birthing, pregnancy that you just don't have because, you know, most people don't have too many children. Their parents didn't have too many children. So we don't really pass on that knowledge as much as they used to in, in like the olden days. And so I think there's really a need for more support systems and tools for moms. Um, and I think digital health has a great opportunity to fill some of those gaps. Obviously there's other things in women's health as well, but I think that's, you know, a particular area where I feel really passionate about is maternal health. Um, anyway, so that's for, that's me for today. No, I love it. <laughs> I think, you know, you be, being able to understand more about your background and really kind of what you're so passionate about, which is kind of the intersection of women's health, specifically as it relates to digital health, 
um, I think is, you know, you definitely came at a very right, at a very good time uh, to rock health. And I think, you know, really understanding your experience and your perspective, so curious to get your take on what direction do you see women's health, you know, this industry moving in. Specifically, I know you mentioned Rock Health and the venture arm. Would love to learn your insights about the funding piece specifically for uh, women's digital health. Yeah. So firstly, um, it's kind of fascinating when you look at the history of the funding in women's health over the years. So Rock Health has been tracking funding for digital health startups in the United States, headquartered in the United States since 2010, any deal with over 2 million in funding. So we really track a lot of that data. And what you mm -hmm. see is that, you know, 2021, there was actually around $1.4 billion invested in women's health, digital, women's health, digital health, yeah. um, across 37 deals. And that was actually about 5% of the, a little under 5% of the total digital health funding that year, which was 29.1 billion in total. So very high record, uh, a high record year, but 5% yeah. of that was for women's health. And when you look more historically, you know, in 2018 and on, it sort of hovered around the 5% mark other than 2019, which was around 10%. But in the prior years, it was really only one to 2% of funding every year. Yeah. So from when we started to track, it was really this like tiny amount. Um, and now it's grown to more of like a 5%. Now is 5% enough? Is it, I, I don't know. Uh, probably you could say that there's more opportunity, uh, mm -hmm. but definitely it has grown in the last three, four years. Um, yeah. And in fact, when we track specific uh, you know, we track different, you know, different therapeutic areas, not that women's health is one therapeutic area, so that's right. an issue, but if you compare it to others, it's actually one of the leading therapeutic areas to, to receive funding in terms of amount. So, wow. um, so at least it's grown in the last few years. I do think though, that there's a lot of opportunity for even further growth. And I would say one is just anecdotally, because a lot more people are interested, excited, finally waking up to the fact that this is a really robust area, kind of a white space of, of need. But mm -hmm. also we saw in 2021 that over 50% of the funding actually went to seed stage companies. Wow. Which is really exciting because that means there's a lot of new companies coming into the market to address needs. So it's not like all that money is going into, you know, the two or three kind of later stage big companies. It's really more, right. uh, you know, a lot of it to early stage. So I, I'm pretty excited because I, I see now also our fund invests in very early stage companies, mm -hmm. uh, you know, seed and A. So we yeah. see a lot of those early companies and there's a lot of interesting and exciting things emerging. So I think that we're just kind of at the beginning of this, of this wave. So I think there's a lot of opportunity. That's incredible. Yeah. Like we're on the precipice of something even greater, but I think it is really interesting that you've been able to really leverage and see that data kind of across over time um, and how women's investments have been going specifically, you know, with women founders. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. So yeah, at, at Rock Health, we track as well. It's good that you mentioned it. So we track the funding. We've also tracked uh, the founders of companies. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's some research we can uh, dig into, uh, you know, around uh, companies founded by women, uh, which I can share with you after as well. Uh, yeah. Pretty interesting. Many of the women's health companies are founded by women as well, almost all. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but it, you know, but there's also kind of different areas there. Yeah, absolutely. So interesting. Uh, kind of speaking more on the digital health space, um, you know, one of the things that you really spend time looking at is, you know, digital health from a strategy innovation perspective. Um, would also love to learn 
more about um, you know your experience and your lens on adoption for digital health, you know, especially now. <laughs> um, but yeah. I think you know even across the board, I feel like there's been a push towards digital kind of across various industries. But would love to kind of get your perspective on digital health specifically for women's health. Yeah. So firstly. Um... It's really fascinating to see because we have actually seen some changes in the last couple of years. And it's kind of a fun time. I mean, it's a difficult time for the world, but it's a fun time to be in the market because things are changing and are really different than what they were before. So uh, one of the types of data that we do collect at Rock Health is we run consumer adoption surveys annually, um, you know, surveying around 8,000 consumers who are representative of the U.S. population. And we ask a number of question around the questions around yeah, adoption of digital health, different types of tools, different types of technologies, their attitude toward different metrics they're tracking, who they're willing to share their data with, et cetera. Um, and what I think is fascinating, sort of two, two different things that I'll, I'll talk through today. The first one is around, if you look at the split of women versus men using digital health, in fact, when you look at health tracking, so kind of tracking different health metrics, in 2021 was the first year that women pulled ahead of men in the terms of the percent of them who actually are tracking their health data. So in 2021, 57% of women reported that they were digitally tracking their health. Only 55% of men reported that. But if you look at the prior years, women were, it was 50% women, the 2019 was 43% women. So there's quite an uptick, a pretty significant uptick in women tracking their health. Uh, so that's kind of one thing. In terms of wearables, you also see women are about even of men. So 44% of women said that they use a wearable of some sort. Mm-hmm. And in the telemedicine space, um, 50% of women said they use live telemedicine. And that's up significantly. 2020 was only 35% and 2019 only wow. 28%. So it's really becoming much more standard and normal. Um, but I think it's fascinating that in the tracking metrics, women actually pulled ahead of men at this point in time. Um, but then it's also interesting if you look at those tracking, like what are people tracking? We yeah. actually ask them about the different things that they're tracking and whether they also, if they are tracking a metric, are they using digital tools or analog tools to track? What I thought was very interesting is, you know, some of the, the lead things that people track are obviously um, weight and food and diet, mm-hmm. but then there's sleep is another one. Mental health is a pretty big tracking metric. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, what, then you get to some like specific women's health issues or topics and 23% of women said they track their menstrual cycle. And of those 72% are using a digital tool to track. And that can be anything from a dedicated app to, it could be like just, you know, using their notes app, the notes app, right. So any kind of digital tool. Um, And then 5% of women reported tracking fertility, but those who are tracking fertility, 85% are using a digital tool. So it seems like menstruation, fertility, or really those women who are tracking are pretty much using a digital tool, similarly with sleep, blood sugar. And then when you get to like weight, food, diet, and mental health, it's more like 50, 50, or kind of 40, 60 on the analog to digital mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really see a big range of types of things people are tracking and a lot of focus on kind of digital tracking for those tools. So, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting to see that space growing and, and like the consumer need and preferences growing there. That's so, that's so interesting. And I even wonder, you know, is are more and more people just getting an awareness of just health kind of as a broader topic and wanting to be cognizant and kind of on top of 
you know, learning more about their body and, and feeling like they're in control of, of their body in that way. That's really fascinating. I think so. And I also think COVID sort of drove that a little bit because, yeah. you know, before COVID, I think a lot of the health conversation was sort of more in the realm of doctors and, you know, whoever else. And suddenly with COVID, people are like, wait, I need to be thinking about my mm. health world around me. And so there's sort of this awareness of like, you need to take care of yourself and your family. So I think that also drove it in just a kind of familiarity with digital tools and technologies and everything moving online sort of helped people, um, you know, move to that. I know for one, <laughs> my husband bought me an Apple watch. I think that the day they announced that schools were closing for lockdown. He like went to the mall and got the, the <laughs> switch and the Apple watch. and was like, all right, we're moving digital. So, um, you know, and I used it to track my activity all that time in quarantine, you know, we were all like uh, in quarantine. So I think it's a uh, pretty, uh, pretty interesting. That's so fascinating. There was something that you mentioned too. Um, curious if, if you just kind of know off the top of your head, you said something about like, you also measured sentiments around privacy. Have you noticed anything major or was it kind of on par with what you would expect? Yeah, so I think what's interesting there, and I don't have all the stats on the top of my head, but I can tell you the general trend there is that um, people are much more willing, there are two interesting things. So number one is people are much more willing to share their health data when there is a, uh, a clear benefit to them from a health perspective. Mm -hmm versus like for money, a lot of people will say, no, I'm not going to share it for money, but I will share it if it'll help me get a better diagnosis or help me right. better track this health metric or et cetera. So that's pretty interesting. The other thing that's very interesting is you can see who people are willing to, or at least who they say they're willing to share their data with. And we ask them about providers mm -hmm. and payers and pharmacists and all that. This past couple of years, there's been a big uptick in those willing to share with employers. And I think it's just the necessity of COVID where you suddenly realize uh -huh. that you have to be able to share in prior yeah. years. It was very low. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, usually tech companies rank pretty low. So yeah. folks will say, no, I don't really want to share my data with the tech company. I think this is fascinating because I think that people share their data all the time with tech companies and they don't, don't realize that they're doing it. So I think having everyone sort of become a little bit more aware and educated on what is actually happening with their data. And then maybe it's fine because they're actually getting that better outcome that they said they would trade it for right and so maybe, maybe it's okay but I think being a little bit more cognizant of when you're using a tool it's collecting data on you and so yeah. um, so I think there's a little bit of education around there that that is happening but generally we do see folks more willing to share with providers um, and you know other things like that versus tech companies usually rank pretty low as well right. as farm companies and other things like that. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. And it makes a lot of sense, you know, being able to have that transparency of how exactly is this information going to be used yeah. and how is that going to then translate to helping me. Um, so fascinating. And, yeah. you know, based off of what you've been seeing in terms of just general adoption, uh, would also love to learn from you, you know, what, tell us a little bit more about solutions kind of in the digital health space for women that you're kind of seeing, um, you know, gain a lot of traction or that excite you kind of during this time yeah. um, in the world. Yeah. So I think I, I sort of think of it as, um, I don't know, maybe it's not a nice way to say it, but like the more old school and then there's the new and expanding new areas of women's health. So mm -hmm. in the traditional sense, the last few years, what we've seen, it started off as a lot of fertility companies. Right. Um, and, and I think that made sense also because the fertility space was very direct to consumer or employer focused. And those were two digital health business models that were pretty successful. 
mm-hmm. so, so that, that was kind of an early space, sexual health being very, um, early as well. Most mm-hmm. a lot of birth control and, um, other like STI type of things. Um, and then maternal health, of course, yeah. uh, you know, with all, all sorts, you know, really focusing on pregnancy, postpartum, et cetera. Uh, but what we're starting to see now, like very much earlier popping up is actually either more niche areas of women's health that had maybe been neglected before, like menopause is an interesting mm. new one, There's a number of companies emerging, uh, mm. but also things like chronic diseases and their application in women's health, or even cancer support for women specifically, or primary care and preventative care that are more tailored towards women. Um, and then lastly, something you've mentioned as being particularly interested in, but behavioral health support for women, especially as well. Um, so I think those are the sort of, a lot of the solutions we're seeing today focusing on that. But I think also, you know, even within the maternal health, there's still a lot of new companies because there's a lot of elements to that journey that haven't really um, uh, been, uh, you know, um, <laughs> I see Leslie saying menopause is not niche. I agree with you. Absolutely. But I think in women's health, it had been treated as a, it hadn't been really addressed before. Yes, but you're right. It's a huge area of unmet need, but now there are finally some companies uh, addressing it. Yes. I'll take that back. Not niche, but new <laughs> and, and previously untapped. How about we say it yeah. that way? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely seeing sort of new, new areas of of focus that are expanding beyond the sort of fertility and sexual health. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, and I think, you know, when, you, when we were talking about menopause, it's one of those things where a lot of these things that you also mentioned with chronic disease management, et cetera, you know, they, when you think about just the number of people that it affects, these are definitely not niche topics, but it's just something that, you know, they haven't had their, their time in the spotlight, but I'm really glad to see that a lot more people are focused on, you know, making that a priority and kind of making that, um, you know, a, a worthwhile investment kind of on that side as well. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about digital health is that it opens the door for, uh, you know, supporting needs that people aren't necessarily comfortable talking about in person mm. as much. And yeah. that's why a lot of these companies started in sexual health. It's even in menopause, a lot of women, you know, talk about not really feeling comfortable discussing the, you know, their symptoms or discussing what they're going through, but having a community online of other people who are going through the same thing or having an expert physician who actually knows what's going on and can talk to you about it and help give you options. Those are things that are sometimes a lot easier to do in a digital world or to find the right people and connect the right people versus going to your in-person male primary care physician or whoever you might've gone to before. Totally. You, you had mentioned something really interesting, you know, when we think about digital health, you know, there's like the telehealth and kind of that, that access improvement, but you had mentioned something about communities, which is so interesting. Have you been seeing a lot of those types of companies, whether that's just for, you know, just general bonding or around specific topics kind of come up during this time? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a a big explosion of communities and you see them all around different types of topics. So there's specific, uh, the, the kind of been around for a while is a lot of the disease specific communities, whether that be cancer, cancer, other niche areas, or even not niche. Uh, But a lot of the maternal health companies recently are starting to create communities or kind of mentorships for moms with other moms Mm. Uh, on the menopause front as well. Like Happify has launched a a community for menopause uh, for women in in menopause age. So there's definitely, uh, I think this recognition that, yeah, it's great to find other people to talk to and share tips with. 
um, you know, whether it be for a, just a life stage or whether it be for more of a disease state. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think the timing is definitely right since I feel like we're all, we're just so used to living in a virtual world as well as a physical world that I think, yeah. you know, the timing is definitely working out for, for those types of companies. Um, we have some questions from the audience before we jump into the final question that we typically like to ask um, our guests for Women's Health Tech Wednesdays. Uh, so the first question is actually around the survey and kind of some of the consumer insights. Um, one of our participants wanted to know if this information that you were sharing is available on the Rock Health website um, yeah. or any yeah, other definitely. area. You can, if you go on the Rock Health website under insights and look for things labeled as consumer adoption, you can usually find those. Uh, I'm not sure if every cut that I mentioned is on there, but definitely most of the data is there. Um, and it covers a lot of different topics that we ask folks. So you can definitely uh, look there. And I think this year we're rolling it out, the 2021 survey data in a series. So we published a telemedicine article a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we'll have a deep dive on health tracking coming in a few weeks. Uh, but mm -hmm. also if you look back to 2020 and, and prior years, we have it all on there as well. And then we also had a question of, have you noticed that women are reluctant to share information related to their wearables? So like their Fitbit information or things like that. I know you kind of mentioned it in the context of maybe with a physician, but um, are there any other, yeah. any other instances well, I can't where you would say, see that? Right. I can't say that they've dug specifically into that. We've more asked okay. about their health data generally. So, um, Got it. so yeah, so I can't, I can't really answer that question in specific. Awesome. And then there was also something, another question of, have you noticed wearables selling information that they're collecting? I don't know if that was also something that you mm -hmm. just had the, the insight into. Yeah, that's a great question. I think it depends on the on the company probably and how they're they're using the data. If they are selling it, it's anonymized in most cases. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, probably worth looking in the fine print. I mean, even Apple, uh, you know, if you don't check off the box to say "Don't use my data," they will use your data, right? So uh, definitely decide if you want to check that box or uncheck it. Default <laughs> is checked, mm -hmm. uh, but usually, I mean, they'll anonymize it, so it's not like they're have your exact personal personal information, but then. Yeah. Yeah. Make your choices and proceed accordingly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And I think it's, it, and kind of going off of that, what you were saying earlier too, about just, you know, an awareness that like that transparency is needed, I think is also going to be a good next step to kind of um, make yeah. sure that consumers are aware of, of exactly what's happening to their data. Yeah, exactly. All right. Awesome. So um, the final question that we love to ask is, do you have any words of advice for our audience, for you know the future health tech professionals, aspiring entrepreneurs on the call today? Yeah, so a couple of thoughts, and the first one I think that you'll you'll really identify with this, Nina, because you you really focus on just user needs design, and I think the first one is start with the user's need, right? And whether that's a mom, whether that's a woman in the menopause age, whether that's someone with a chronic disease, but really don't come at it with a solution, come at it with what is the problem I'm solving. But then I think the next step is really to say, has someone else already solved this or is someone working on solving it already? And if so, you know, is what you're going to do different than what they're doing? And if not, maybe you just join them or support them. Mm -hmm. um, because we do have a lot of proliferation of many, many solutions. And I think obviously some competition is good, but I think a lot of folks, at least being aware of what's out there and yeah. making sure you're not just duplicating um, I think is important. And then just kind of on the funding side, 
I would just flag that there are some women's health focused funds, which I'm sure you've had some of them on this uh, podcast probably, but um, you know, there's Rhea Ventures, Harlem Capital, et cetera. And then there's other funds who are very active in the women's health space like Lux Capital or Acme. So thinking about when you are ready to get funding, who are those investors who really would support your mission and would identify with what you're doing and go at it that way instead of just, you know, trying to get funding from anywhere you can. So really thinking about that, what's the user need that I'm solving? Is this way that I'm solving it gonna solve the problem or the you know, address the opportunity? Am I doing it in a different way than other people yeah. are doing it? And then who would support me on this mission and on this journey that kind of believes in what I'm doing? Absolutely. That was all very, very insightful and very tangible uh, advice. Love that. Very. So if anyone um, you know is inspired, definitely plot out those user journeys, find your customers. Um, thank you so much, Sorry, for such an incredible and an enlightening conversation. Um, really, really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. A really terrific interview from Sari and Nina there. If you wish to connect with either Sari or Nina, you can do so via LinkedIn. That information is in this episode's description. For more information about HitLab, please visit www.hitlab.org and do engage with us in all of the socials LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for our handle at HitLabNYC. That handle again is at HitLabNYC. This podcast is available on anchor.fm, Spotify, and all the places you get your podcasts. Our next Women's Health Tech Wednesday episode will see last week's guest, Meg Columbia Walsh, interviewing Melissa Stockwell, Chief of the Division of Child and Adolescent Health at Columbia University Irving Medical Center. So subscribe and hit that notification bell if you want to be alerted when that episode drops next week. On behalf of the entire team at HitLab, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, we wish you a digitally healthy day. Hold up. 